Hallelujah. Praise his name. We can always say that. We never run out of reasons for saying that. There's always, always a good reason, and more than one, for saying praise the Lord, for saying hallelujah. We don't have to be having a good day for that to be true, for God to be worthy of praise. And so we praise him this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we continue to look for a couple of weeks at what it means to have 2020 vision. Right now in 2020 is a great time to have 2020 vision. And we've been looking at what our vision, what our view of people is supposed to be. And I hope that somebody this morning came in to, to worship, came into the, the sanctuary or the, or the church complex here, the building, the campus, and asked somebody if they could help them with something. I hope that happened. Did anybody, did anybody get asked if, if they could be helped by somebody today? Anybody? Yes. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad. Glad somebody asked you. That means that somebody was paying attention last week. And they weren't hearers only, but they were doers, which the Word of God tells us to be. Because we, we saw over the last few weeks that as believers in Jesus Christ, as believers in the Word of God, we're supposed to love the body of Christ. We're supposed to love other believers as Jesus loved us. We're supposed to love them. And that we're supposed to serve them. We're supposed to actually be out-serving each other, fighting for the great spots in the kingdom by our service with good attitudes. Because remember, great service with a bad attitude is worthless. It It doesn't accomplish anything. It might get some work done, but it doesn't help the body of Christ. It doesn't grow the body of Christ, and it doesn't glorify God. And it certainly doesn't get us the right and the left of Jesus as James and John and their mom Um, we're fighting over. But he wants us to be serving each other with gladness, with joy, with sacrifice, with great attitudes. And I hope that you've been experiencing that somehow even this morning. But this morning I want us to look at how we're supposed to view the other kind of person. Now in the the Old Testament, in, in lots of the New Testament, the division between two groups of people was usually Jews and Gentiles. But there's also a division in Scripture of believers and non-believers, or in some cases, not yet believers. Because some of those non-believers are going to become believers. And we need to know, how are we supposed to view them? What's our attitude supposed to be toward those who don't share our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? who don't share our belief in the truthfulness of his word and what he says about the way life is supposed to be and the way things are supposed to go and and what's going to be happening in the future. How do we treat those? How do we look at those? What's our attitude toward those people who disagree with us on these very vital, important things which separate us between believers and non-believers or not yet believers? Turn in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's on page 640 in the Bibles that are provided if you haven't gotten there yet. 
in um, verse 11, as the Apostle Paul has just talked about the temporary nature of this life. And you all realize that, right? These bodies aren't lasting forever. Some of you can, can, give, can give a hearty amen to that. You know, you've just had surgery. You're just recovering from surgery or you're about to go in for surgery or whatever the case may be. You know these bodies aren't lasting forever. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the first 10 verses of this chapter says that these bodies are like tents. And tents, you know, they're nice to be in for some people. Some people say they're never nice to be in. But, you know, some tents are nice to be in for a weekend or an overnight, but you wouldn't want to live in one. Paul says that's what these bodies are. But these bodies aren't lasting forever. They're, they're breaking down. They're, they're falling apart. The, the canvas is ripping. You know, the, the, the support sticks are breaking. And, and they're, they're falling apart. And he even says, he even uses the expression, in, this, in these tents we do some groaning. You know, some of you have been doing some groaning. Some of you have been hearing some groaning as, as these bodies are breaking down. That, that, this is what happens to us. And young people, trust me, okay? It happens. It's the truth of God's word. But he says that when these bodies are, are finished, that we're going to receive from him an eternal body, a glorious body, one that isn't going to break down. And that we're going to face, those of us who are believers, remember, this is for believers. This isn't for everybody. This is for believers. We're going to receive these bodies, but we're also going to be before, stand before him, the Lord Jesus, at the judgment seat, not to decide whether or not we're getting into heaven. That, that was decided the moment we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment we believed in Jesus, we've been given the guarantee of eternal life. But all of us are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ individually and receive from the Lord Jesus the rewards that he has prepared for us for living our lives for his glory, for our obedience to him, for our service to him. That goes back to the James and John thing. You know, who is going to get the best seat? Well, those things are going to be given by the Lord Jesus for our service to him. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to earn heaven. We never earn heaven. That was given to us. That's a gift. But as we live our lives for his glory, he's going to give us great rewards that are going to last for all eternity. And that's, that's going to be a great moment. And we're living life with that in view. That's what the apostle, that's why he starts off verse 11 by saying this after he just talked about that. He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Because that's a, that's a sobering thought. You know, that's, that's something to think about. That that, that moment is going to happen. And we want to, we want that moment to be a great moment. And so he says, we try to persuade men. Because that's, that's one of the great things that we can do for his glory is to let other people know that there's hope for them for eternal life. People that we know, people that he's put us in contact with in some way or another, we have the opportunity to persuade them. He goes on. What we are, speaking of him and his, his companions, what we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Because they were being bad talked by some others who came after them, the Apostle Paul and his companions. If we are out of our mind, that's what they were saying about them. It is for the sake of God 
if we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a picture of our lives. So then, now listen to this verse. So then, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I want to reread that. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And I'm going to add my own praise the Lord right there. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, children's message, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2020 vision concerning those who do not know Christ. Those in our lives, those that he's put us in contact with, in relationship with, at work with, at school with, in a small group with, on a team with, on a drama group with, Whoever, wherever it is we go, whatever it is we do, the people that are around us and those of them that do not know Christ, what is our attitude toward them? Well, he starts out, and I reread this part of the verse, or this part, part of the passage. He starts out by telling us, we don't look at them from a worldly point of view any longer. We don't look at them from a worldly point of view. A worldly point of view is, what can they do for me? That's the way the world looks at people. That's what, he, that's what he's talking about when he says, from a worldly point of view, what can that person do for me? When Jesus sent his disciples um, into town, when he was out at, the, out at the well, as he was passing from Jerusalem up to Galilee, he was in Sumerian country, and uh, he, was, he was out there and he said, guys, go, go into town and get some food. I'll stay out here and rest. And this, of course, is where the woman at the well came along. That's what that scene is called. But, but there was other things going on besides Jesus talking to the woman at the well, which is in John chapter 4. It's a great story. But the, the guys went into town to buy food. They went to the market and got their food. And then they came back and gave Jesus the food. And he wasn't interested in eating anymore because he had just been talking to a Samaritan, a, a Samaritan woman that he shouldn't have been talking to according to the rules. And, 
and he wasn't hungry anymore. He said, hey, guys, I'm full. I've been, I've been eating the food of doing God's will right now, and I, and I don't need food anymore. And they're looking around and saying, wait a minute, who brought him food? We, that was our job. We went in there to, to buy food, and they came back with the food. And then they look, and there's a line of people coming from town out to the well. Because the woman had gone into town and told everybody who was out at the well. Who had just been in town? His best friends. The guys who knew him a thousand times better than that woman would ever know him. They had just been there. But you know what? They were looking at the folks in that town from a worldly point of view. They were there to get, give them some, to sell them some food. And they did. They said, thank you, hopefully, and then went back out to Jesus. The woman who had been speaking to Jesus, a woman with quite a reputation and past, by the way, she went out and she told him some very interesting facts about Jesus real quickly. The Messiah is out there. Now, I'm not saying that the disciples should have said that because we don't know when we read something in Scripture, we don't know everything that takes place in every conversation. And Jesus might have told them, guys, go to get food and don't tell them I'm out here. He could have said that because there were many times that he told his disciples not to tell people who he was and what he was doing. So it may not have been a part of the plan. It may not have been, you know, the situation for that right then. And, of course, he also knew that the woman would have missed a golden opportunity, which he was about to give her because he knew all that stuff was happening. So I'm not judging the disciples, but I am saying that when they went into town, nobody else came back with them. We know that because they just went in and bought food. The woman, on the other hand, she lost concern about food. She was so excited about her new life in Christ that she had just met the Messiah, that she had just been forgiven of all of her sins, and she had a lot of them, like we do. She was so excited about that, she had to tell somebody. And she no longer looked at her town's friend, her townspeople as the world looks at them. You know what she looked at them before that moment? Her judges. They were her judges. They were the ones that always whispered when she walked by. Because she was that woman. She was the one that was with lots of guys and all that kind of stuff. And so she knew the judgment of people. She didn't look at them as her judges any longer. She looked at them as people who were lost in their sins, who needed a Savior, and she just met the Savior, and she was going to let them know. She wasn't looking at those people for what they could do for her or what they might do against her any longer. She didn't care about that. She had everything she needed in her Savior. She wasn't worried about making friends. She didn't have any friends anyway. She wasn't worried about losing any friends because she didn't have any friends anyway. She just wanted them to know like she knew that she was forgiven of her sins and she was going to have eternal life because the Messiah is out there at the well. And of course they went. How many of them received him? We don't know. We know she did. But that reminds us, as the Apostle Paul says, therefore we no longer look at anyone from a worldly point of view. Why? Because we're ambassadors. The ambassador to England, as I was telling the children, he doesn't go to London for the shopping certainly doesn't go there for the food, although some people love that food. He's, he's there not from a worldly point of view any longer. He's there from, in, in his case, from a national 
point of view, as a responsible representative of our country, in that country, he's there with a mission. And here, the Word of God tells us that God has given us a mission as it concerns those in our lives who don't know Christ. We don't look at them any longer for what they can do for us or whether they're going to be really be nice to us anymore or whether they're going to be kind to us anymore or any of those things. We don't look at them for what they can do for us, how they can help us with our grades or with our, our team or whatever the situation might be or they can be just the source of great fun or any, whatever it is that people do for you. you know, we don't look at them like that anymore. We look at them as a person who's in desperate need of a Savior because they've sinned against God. And we know about that because that's us. We know what it was like to be in desperate need of a Savior. And in some of us, we didn't even know that we were in desperate need of a Savior because we had, we had taken our sins so lightly until somebody reminded us or somebody showed us or we took stock in what God had already planted in our hearts as he does in all people, the right and wrong of things. And we started to realize, wait a minute, our wrongs are really, really seriously mounting up here. And we need help. And so lots of times people start trying to do better, trying to be better. Start going to church maybe, or start being nice to people, or start being honest, start paying their taxes, all, you know, all different kinds of things they might start doing, trying to, to get better. And they realize as they start that they can't. Oh, they might make some progress here and there, but they can't. They're still trapped in their sins, like we were before we received Jesus. We see them now like that. And we recognize that as believers in Jesus, that he has given to us, as he did the Apostle Paul, he's given to us the message and ministry of reconciliation. That's not a word that we use a whole lot. Usually we talk about it in terms of marriage because usually all of our marriages at some time or another need some reconciliation. Because reconciliation, remember, it means that we were once friends, but now we're not, and we need to get that back. And see, people without Christ are separated from God. They need reconciliation. They need to be brought back to him. It's our responsibility and our opportunity to be some of those. We probably won't be the only one, although we might be. But to be some of those who let them know that there's hope in Jesus Christ. And that we have found that hope as we explain to them how we received him, how we, how we know according to his word he forgave us of our sins. And isn't it interesting, he gives us really the whole gospel right there in the 21st verse. In case somebody really gets fired up about this ministry of reconciliation, they say, hey, I might as well give them the ammo right here. I'm going to give them the message in just one little succinct verse. Because we can tell somebody this. God made Jesus who knew no sin. He made him sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God. Because that's what God did. That's, that's my whole story. Jesus did that. And he's done that for you, for all of us who believe. And what's it mean to believe? Believe that Jesus is 
the perfect son of God. That God sent him into this world to live a perfect life and to die on the cross so that those of us who have sinned, and that's all of us, wouldn't have to die for our sins. Instead, by believing in him that he's done this for us, he would give us eternal life because he makes us his righteous children. He does that. That's the story. That's the gospel. That's what he's done for all of us. And that's the simple story that we can tell those of our friends who still haven't received him, who still don't know him. And that's our attitude. That's our view. That's our 2020 vision of people who don't know Christ. We don't leave it for somebody else to tell because we don't know that somebody else is going to tell them. God might have put us in this relationship. God might have put us in this place, in this team, at this school, in this office. Some of you are saying, he sure didn't put me here to enjoy this job. Maybe he's giving me another reason. I was talking to somebody in the hospital yesterday. They were ready to get out. I said, hey, while you're here, take advantage of it. Because some of the folks serving you are having a miserable time of it right now. And they could use some of what you've got. He said, well, I didn't think about that before. But they, we, we can have a wonderful, I'm not asking for this, Lord. But we can have a wonderful ministry suffering in the hospital. I've known a lot of people who have done that. And a lot of people who have come to faith in Christ and have gotten their lives straightened out because of people suffering in the hospital. Because they're no longer looking at a nurse just as someone who can provide care for me. They're looking at a nurse who might need a Savior. Because they don't look any longer at people from a worldly point of view. Even a doctor. You know that doctors need Christ too? And, And so and so and so and so on it goes. In every nook and cranny of our lives there are people there and the people that are there are there either know christ or they don't the ones that do we love and we serve the ones that don't we look no longer from a worldly point of view but we see them as someone who desperately needs a savior and i know that savior i can tell them about him they may not receive him. In fact, they may say, you know what, I'd really not even hang around you anymore because I don't want to hear about this stuff. If that's the case, you've still won. You've still honored God. You've still done something that you're going to be thankful for at the judgment seat of Christ that the Apostle Paul was talking about before. You're going to say, well, wait a minute. You know, Steve didn't receive Christ. And Jesus said, well, That wasn't your job. Your job was to tell him, and you did. Good job. Maybe high five. I don't know if he's doing that. But certainly a reward of some kind. And I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be better than anything else that you've ever received, other than your eternal life. It's going to be better than any other gift or reward or award that you've ever received. And hopefully there will be many of those for all of us because we're taking advantage of this opportunity that we have. And we've got opportunities, don't we? 
you're, you're already thinking about some of the people right now that need a Savior. You know they need a Savior, and you haven't said anything yet. I say yet because you've just been waiting. You've been waiting for the right moment. Pray for that right moment. <coughs> Excuse me. Pray for that opportunity when it will just come right that you can say, you know what? Jesus changed my life. He forgave me my sins, and he gave me the hope of eternal life, and that's changed everything for me. That's given me a whole new outlook. That's given me a whole new purpose. That's given me a whole new hope, and it's all because of Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that people have been taking your word serious ever since you wrote it. In this case, ever since the Apostle Paul wrote these words, there have been a group of people who have not been looking at lost people, people without Jesus, unbelievers, non-believers, from a worldly point of view any longer. They've been seeing them as people who desperately need a Savior. The very Savior that we know. And I'm thankful that that enthusiasm, that that obedience made it all the way to me. And I thank you for the many people in my life who did not look at me from a worldly point of view, but as someone who desperately needed a Savior. We all have so much to be thankful for in that regard. Now would you use us? Would you, by your Spirit, take this word that we've looked at this morning and convict each of us that it really is for us, it's not just the Apostle Paul's testimony, that it's really a statement about all of us who fear you, who look forward to that day of standing at your judgment seat with fear and trembling and anticipation and excitement. Help us to realize that you've given us these lives for that moment and for the eternity that will begin in a real sense at that time. Help us to live now for that. And to put everything else behind and aside and to stop looking at people from a worldly point of view. But as someone that Jesus died for and that can be saved if they put their trust in him. Heavenly Father, help us to see that that is real love for that person who doesn't know Christ. To not tell them to wait too long is not love. But that to share what you have done for us and what your word says is really the greatest act of love that we can share with anyone who doesn't know you. Father, we know that that could be the case with some people right here, right now, in this very room. 
that they still don't believe. But Father, now regardless of what their past has been, they do know now that they can receive Jesus, that they can believe in him right now. That no good works, no reformation in their own lives is going to save them, but Jesus will. Because he died for them. And he rose again to give them eternal life if they will believe. So give them the courage and faith this morning to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I've given up believing in everything else that I've been believing in. I'm giving up trying everything else I've been trying. And I'm going to trust in you. Help them to do that this morning by faith. Lord, we pray. And for those at our youth retreat and those in other churches all around the world today, on your day, may this be a great day of salvation for many people who hear your word and hear about the work of Jesus and how they can receive him too. Praise your name for the truth of the gospel and that we stand together this morning because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's in his name, the great, strong, wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.